I've got a question for you this morning. Why would anyone want to be a preacher? Okay? Have you ever thought about that? Or maybe more to the point, have you ever questioned the motives of a minister? Have you ever wondered about a preacher on TV or in a megachurch or in your own church? Have you wondered why someone even went into the ministry in the first place? I have. I have. You know, one of the biggest hurdles I had to get over after going to Bible college was judging the motives of those who were preparing for the ministry. Stories that were told in the dorm after weekends made it very obvious that there were some who weren't practicing what they were preaching. I couldn't understand why they wanted to be preachers or how they could be preachers and do the things they were doing in their private lives. Before long, I found myself questioning everyone's motives, even my own. It was 1965, and many of my high school classmates were on their way to Vietnam. I, however, had been given a deferment in order to prepare for the ministry. With the war going on, and in spite of the fact that I had said I was going to be a preacher since the age of six, I started doubting my motives for going into the ministry. You know, if some were in Bible college for the wrong reasons, how could I, how could I be sure of my own? Did I want to be a preacher just because I had always admired Uncle John? Or because I looked up to Brother Laughlin? Or because I enjoyed being a leader in the youth group? The question of motive almost overwhelmed me. And then I read Philippians 1, 15 through 18. What Paul had to say about the motives of the messenger shocked me. But it also gave me a sense of peace. And more importantly, it freed me from a debilitating judgmental attitude. Maybe it can do the same for you. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul readily admits that some may be preaching in pretense. 
fact, he says, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Now, Paul's not only acknowledging or merely acknowledging the possibility that some might be preaching things they don't believe or for reasons that are less than honorable. He doesn't say some may preach in pretense. He says some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife. He was absolutely convinced that some were preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons. He matter-of-factly stated that some were preaching out of envy and selfish ambition. Some were even preaching out of strife, hoping to cause him more distress in prison. I think it's therefore safe for us to conclude that There may indeed be some today who are preaching in pretense. But some are indeed preaching from impure motives. Mansions and Rolexes and Learjets are pretty good indications that some are preaching to get rich. And the net worth of some preachers is shocking. It's reported that Kenneth Copeland has a net worth of $760 million, even though he boasts that he's worth a billion. Pat Robertson comes in at $100 million. Benny Hinn at 42, Joel Osteen at 40, and Billy Graham and Rick Warren tied at $25 million each. Now, I realize net worth doesn't necessarily indicate that money is their motive in ministry. But you can't help but wonder about the accumulation of such wealth. Others may simply want the status that comes from being a clergyman, even though... The position that clergy once held in society has declined drastically. But still, some love to be called reverend and use such titles to gain status or to be able to position themselves in the political arena. Some may even have devious motives for going into the ministry and for preaching. Apparently, some did in Paul's day. Some were actually preaching Christ in the hopes that by doing so, they would cause problems for Paul, cause him distress in his imprisonment. By stirring up religious fervor in Rome, they may have thought they could get him in even more trouble. If Christianity was a hot, divisive issue, Caesar might be less apt to dismiss the charges against him as petty differences of opinion between Jews. Or maybe they had thought their blatant hypocrisy in preaching would cause him distress. They figured he'd be able to detect their motives for what they were doing and 
and that would cause great distress to him. Bottom line, their motives for preaching were envy, strife, and selfish ambition. But where did such motives in Rome, in the church at Rome, come from? Well, we can only surmise, but we do know that the church had been established in Rome before Paul got to town, and congregational leadership was no doubt already in place. Preachers had been preaching, and people were listening to them. But now the local preachers had come under the shadow of a famous apostle. All eyes were on Paul. He was the one everyone was talking about. And while they couldn't compete with him in person, he was now locked away in prison. This was their chance to shine. They're back in the limelight. And they wanted to make the most of it. And without him around, people would listen to them again. So they worked even harder, trying to make a name for themselves. And yes, rivalry does exist in the ministry. All you have to do is go to a preacher's meeting and listen to questions about attendance and programs to sense a competitive spirit between preachers. Rivalry is obviously not the highest motive for ministry, but it's out there. And it was there in Paul's day. Now, there's no indication that the preachers didn't believe what they were saying, only that their motives for preaching it weren't pure. That was true, at least for some of them, but not for all. Some of the messengers had motives that were true. He says, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Some were preaching from goodwill and love. They were preaching because they wanted to do good. And quite frankly, there's nothing better you can do with your life than dedicate it to the preaching of the gospel. It's the highest calling in the world. If you want to do good that will last for all eternity, preach the good news. If you love God and love people, there's no better way to express that love than to commit your life to preaching, to sharing the gospel. Goodwill and love are true Christ-honoring motives for preaching. And many are so motivated today, as they were in Paul's day. Some in Paul's day also had another true and honorable motive for preaching while he was in prison. They realized that he had been commissioned to preach. And they were concerned about the message not getting out while he was in prison. They knew it would break his heart, so they determined to take up the slack. They were preaching not only because they loved God and man, but because they loved Paul and wanted to do all they could to, to lessen his distress in prison. But apparently, they didn't realize that he was having a great ministry in prison, as we noted last week. 
He was beginning to impact the future movers and shakers of Rome by converting the Praetorian Guard to whom he was chained 24-7. But still, Paul was no doubt pleased that some were working overtime, preaching the gospel more than ever because they thought it would bring him joy in prison. What they didn't know was that Paul was simply rejoicing because the gospel was being proclaimed. He didn't really care what the motive was behind it. In Paul's mind, the motive did not matter. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Does it bother you that Paul could rejoice over Christ proclaimed in pretense? Isn't it better that he's proclaimed in truth? Of course it is. But who can judge motives anyway? Only God, and he will. Jesus made it clear that the one who gives alms to be honored by men, has received his reward in full when he gets the honor. And hypocrites who pray in public places to be noticed by men have received the reward in full when they're noticed. The same, I'm sure, holds true for those who preach out of envy or strife or selfish ambition. They may indeed get what they want, That will be all they'll get. They won't hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We can't judge the heart. We're not capable of judging motives, so we shouldn't even try. All we need worry about is the message. If what's being said is true, rejoice in what's being said. And don't worry about the motive behind the one saying it. Even though it was obvious to Paul that some were preaching from envy and strife and selfish ambition, he did not let that dim his joy over the fact that Christ was being proclaimed. Now, if they hadn't been preaching the truth, his response would have been quite different. We know that to be the case because some in Galatia were preaching a different gospel. And this is the way he responded to that. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
as we've said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. It's the content that matters, not the motive. Now, we may question the motives of a preacher on TV or elsewhere. It may appear that they're only after money, and that may be true. But that's not our call to make. That's not our concern as long as they are preaching the truth. Now, if they're preaching heresy, that's another matter. If we hear something that doesn't sound right, we better check it out. Our response to any preaching should be like that of the Bereans. Luke records that they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. There are many today who are preaching another gospel. Many are simply echoing the progressive liberal agenda and preaching a social gospel. They reduce the gospel to nothing more than political programs concerning economic inequality, racial tensions, or the environment. Or they preach psychobabble, a feel-good, self-centered, self-improvement message that ignores the reality of sin. Or they allow public opinion to trump morality and promote behaviors that are explicitly condemned in Scripture. These things must be opposed, and preachers who preach such exposed. But if someone is preaching the truth about Christ and the redemption made possible by the cross, we rejoice, even if they live in a multi-million dollar mansion or have multi-million dollar programs and ministries that entice members away from smaller churches. Paul didn't worry about the motive of the messenger. He just wanted the message to get out. We, too, must rejoice whenever the gospel, the true gospel, is being proclaimed. Even if someone is apparently preaching it out of a sense of rivalry or envy or selfish ambition, as long as the gospel is being preached, we rejoice. Now, that does not mean we shouldn't examine our own motives. If we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord, we better ask him 
to search us and cleanse us and help us keep our motives pure. That is where motives really do matter. So rather than worry about someone else's motives, let's simply examine our own. And as much as is humanly possible, let's make sure our motives are pure. Let's stand.